The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today we're talking with Dr. Michael Fossil. He has an MD and a PhD in neurobiology from Stanford University. A clinical professor of medicine for almost three decades, he is considered the world's most foremost expert on telomerase, aging, and age-related disease. Today we're discussing his latest book, The Telomerase Revolution, which was praised by the Wall Street Journal as one of the five best science books of the year. So, Dr. Fossil, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rebecca. Pleasure being with you. So what what is oh, although I'm going to have to call you Doctor Risk if you call me Doctor <laughs> Fossil. So either way is fine. Either way is fine. Um, what is the the telomerase revolution? Well, it's about some uh, remarkable changes that are about to occur in medical care. Um, a lot of us tend to do without even thinking about it to divide diseases into three categories: things that we've already been able to work with, for example, infectious diseases. Most people don't get tetanus anymore, and we have antibiotics for simple little cellulitis and so on. We think of those things as as pretty much being solved. Um, and then there are diseases that we haven't been able to get, but I think all of us think we will. Example: uh, diabetes. I think a lot of us think that there'll come a time when we'll put in new pancreatic cells, and you won't need insulin. You'll actually cure diabetes. Um, but then I think there are a lot of diseases where people think, uh, rightly or wrongly, they're very pessimistic. They think you can't really do anything about age-related diseases. Uh, if you live long enough, you will certainly get fill-in-the-blank Alzheimer's, for example. Um, I see this at big drug companies. I see this at, at, at global uh, organizations. That sort of pessimism about what do you expect? You get old, things fall apart. And what we're finding over the past 20 years is that is actually a very simplistic and naive way of looking at those diseases. And once you look more carefully, you realize you can change it. And telomerase has a lot to do with that clinical revolution that's just coming out, coming down the pike right now. Well, you've been involved in, in this for, for a long time. I mean, reading your book, you've been researching for years. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about that history? Well, most of that research has not been mine. Um, I was the first person 20 years ago, though, to put out a couple of articles in the Journal of American Medical Association and some books about the clinical potential of all this. And uh, what it boils down to is, as I say, a different way of looking at the aging process. And stop looking at it as something passive where, where things just happen, and you begin to realize there's a lot of complexity to it. And some of the original research suggested uh, that there were enormous implications. Uh, I'll give you an example. If somebody said to me, will you ever be able to reverse aging? The technical answer is, yeah, we did that 18 years ago in human cells. 
and 17 years ago in human tissues. And there are some suggestions that we can do that not only in animals, but in human beings. And that's the sort of thing we're going to take to clinical testing in the next year or so in human beings and see if we can cure things like Alzheimer's. Um, well, that sounds pretty exciting, actually. Um, you know, was, like you said, there there's a lot of things that um, we just think are the way they are. We're going to age, we're going to get older, um, and things are going to happen to us as we get older. Yeah, and I, I think we look at it wrong. You know, a, a lot of people look at it as just entropy. It, it's like, you know, your car rusts, that's the way it is. I saw a beautiful picture of a 1930 Duesenberg. Beautiful car in beautiful shape. It's a lot older than my car, and yet my car has rust spots and the Duesenberg doesn't. Why? Is it simply a matter of <clears throat> rust? No, it's not entropy. It's a matter of who cared for that car. Whoever owned that Duesenberg has been caring for it day to day, week to week, with a fine, fine care. And I haven't taken nearly as much care with my car. Um, but the same thing is true of other things. You know, if I if I go to two grocery stores and one of them is filthy and the other one is pretty clean, I don't think that one of them is simply older. I think somebody hasn't been taking care of the cleaning in that grocery store or in their house. Uh, so, again, when you're looking at age-related diseases, we have an assumption that it just sort of gets dirty after a while, it rusts after a while, things fall apart after a while. The reality is it has a lot more to do with the way our biology takes care of the damage rather than the damage itself. Okay. Um, so when when we're talking about aging, um, I, I'm not sure everybody's aware about the, you know, anti-aging um, world. Can you just explain that a little bit to us? Well, the, the whole idea of anti-aging has been around for as long as human history is. Uh, the very first human documents that we've ever been able to uncover talk about it some 4,700 years ago. Um, but throughout that history, it's also been um, almost always somebody selling you something. Uh, you know, there's, there's been no evidence that you can actually reverse or stop the aging process in humans, for example, or most of the animals you and I think of. Um, and so when we've talked about anti-aging, generally, it's either been a scam or it's been people talking about much more conservative approaches, which is, can you slow aging? Well... Clearly, you can. For example, you could not smoke, you could exercise, you can eat right, you can avoid injuries. All of those things slow the aging process. But the concept of being able to do something active and, and much more uh, remarkable, as I say, up until now has been nonsense. And yet, over the past two decades, there's been growing data suggesting we can do exactly that, within some limits, but yes. Okay. Um, so... Um what, what are some of the theories on the anti-aging? Well, the bulk of the aging theories all are what I think of as entropic theories, which is things fall apart. Um, and, and some of them aren't obviously that way, uh, but we look more carefully. For example, uh, a lot of people say all things fall apart, uh, you know, everything ages, uh, and it's just entropy. And uh, that's true when you think of people and dogs and cats. We see everybody age. And yet there are organisms and, and cell systems that don't age, even within our own bodies. Now, if you think of where you came from, you came largely from a cell from your mother and a little bit from your father. And your mother was presumably a couple of decades old when she gave you that cell, and yet that cell was brand new. And, she, and your mother came from a, a cell similarly. If you trace those cells all the way back, every cell in our body is in some very real sense four and a half billion years old. But... Um, they don't really age until you and I become a person. 
So what we know is that aging occurs in certain cases and not others. The same is true of mitochondria. And yet some people look at aging in a much more simple fashion. They say, well, maybe aging is just a matter of endocrine systems. Except if the aging was an endocrine system, you'd have to ask, well, what caused the aging in the endocrine system? You know, what's, what's the clock behind the clock? And in every case, what we find is if you look at things very carefully, you can see that there are certain cell systems that don't age, some that age rapidly, some that age slowly. And as I say, it's much more complex. It has to do with patterns of gene expression rather than just things passively falling apart. So most aging theories tend to be not so much theories as sort of guesswork, but the data don't support them. You know, somebody once said it's not a real theory unless you can prove it's wrong. And most so-called aging theories sort of prove themselves wrong when you look more carefully. Okay, so, um, you know, when we're looking at this, of course, our whole topic is um, the telomerase revolution, which um, has to do with telomeres. And can you just tell us what telomeres are? Well, I'll tell you what they are, and then I'll put them in perspective. Telomeres are the, the sequences at the very end of each chromosome, and sometimes they're called caps on the chromosome, and some people think they have something to do with keeping the chromosomes from unraveling, and actually, they really don't. Uh, chromosomes never unravel, not in that sense. But they do have a key role, and that is they determine gene expression in the rest of the chromosome. <clears throat> so, again, let me put it in perspective. If I look at the cells in my nose and the cells in my toes and I say, what's the difference? Is it genetic? The answer is no. They've got exactly the same genes. The difference is they play a different pattern in those genes. It's as though they have the same set of instruments in an orchestra, but they're playing different tunes. So they play a tune for my toes and a tune for my nose, and that's, but it's the same orchestra. But if I look at the same thing in aging, what you see is exactly the same things occurring. If I look at all the cells in my body at age six, and I look at them now some 60 years later, and I say, what's the difference? It's not a genetic difference. It's not even a matter of DNA damage. The difference is they're playing a different tune. They're playing an old age tune rather than a young tune. And the tune itself is largely set by the telomere. So as the cells divide and the telomere shorten, they change the pattern of gene expression. And the result of that is, for example, that you slow down your ability to, to repair DNA damage. You slow down your ability to turn over cells, uh, proteins, lipids, everything within your cell. It's as though the recycling system slows down. That's probably a good way to look at it. Okay, so, um, you know, I, I, one of the things I knew before reading your book was that the telomeres shorten. And um, so what, what does that mean for us when that happens? Well, by itself, it's not important. Uh, you know, it, somebody once said it, that, that I argue that telomeres cause aging. To the contrary, it's, it's not clear to me what people mean by cause. It's like saying, what caused us to be on this radio show? The answer is a lot of things. It's, what are you asking? Mm -hmm. Telomeres certainly don't cause aging. But what they are is a key, a key part of the aging process within cells. And the key thing they do is they change that pattern of gene expression, and that changes the way the cells act. Act. So if I look at, oh, a skin cell, uh, why do I have a wrinkle when I didn't have a wrinkle 50 years ago? The answer is that those skin cells are no longer turning over all of the, the proteins, for example, the elastin and the, and the collagen in my skin as fast as they did 50 years ago. They're still making good collagen and they're still making good elastin. They're just not making it as fast and breaking it down as fast. So anytime I go looking for a molecule, I found one that doesn't work as well as it did 50 years ago because the turnover rate is so slow. Back to that analogy of the grocery store, 
you know, if one grocery store cleans up every single night, and every time there's a spill, they clean it up immediately, that grocery store looks pretty good compared to the one that once a month has someone come in and clean up. That's what's going on in old age, and the telomere sets that pattern. So as cells divide, telomere shortens a little bit, changes the pattern of gene expression, and the cells begin to not work quite as well. It all adds up. Okay, so if we have short telomeres, does that mean that we're older and aging? Well, oddly enough, not quite, Um, because it's not the length of the telomere that matters. It's the change in length. So, for example, if I have a mouse that has a telomere that's 10 times my, my length, but it has a lifespan that's 40 times less than mine, why does that happen? And the answer is, it's not the length of the telomere, it's the change in the length. So if I have a, oh, a, a very short telomere <clears throat> when I start life, but it's long enough, and then it shortens slightly, it's the change in, in length that matters. If I have a very long telomere, and that doesn't necessarily mean I'm, I'm any younger, it's the change in length that matters. So if I go from, say, oh, 18 kilobase pairs to 10 kilobase pairs, that's a big difference. But if I'm a mouse and I make that big change, it depends. It depends on the change in length. It's not the length of the telomere. It's the change in length that determines everything because that's what okay. changed the pattern of gene expression. Okay, so um, would, I mean, one thing you talk about in your book is whether or not telomere length can also be related to aging disease. So is there a link there that people have found? Yeah, again, there is. And it, it has to do with that change in length. It's not the absolute length, it's yeah. the relative length. So let me give you an example. If I look at Alzheimer's disease and I say what causes it, again, sort of depends on what you mean by what causes it, but let's look at some of the changes. We know that the neurons themselves seem to be the the, um, the innocent bystander. You know, most of the cells in your brain aren't neurons. They're actually glial cells. And if I look at the glial cells and I look at the changing telomeres, what you find is that People with Alzheimer's have shorter telomeres than people who don't. And if I look at the function of those glial cells, what you find is they're no longer working as well. Here's an example. We know that beta amyloid, we've known this for almost a century, beta amyloid plays a big role in Alzheimer's disease. And if we look at the glial cells, we find that they're not taking up the beta amyloid, they're not bringing it inside the cell, they're not breaking it down as fast. So it's the question is the turnover. They're not turning things over. They're not recycling those proteins as well as they should, and the outcome seems to be Alzheimer's disease. The same thing could be said if we look at uh, people with cardiovascular disease. You know, most of us end up with old arteries. And if we look carefully at where it begins, what we find is the first thing that happens is telomeres begin to shorten in the cells that line your coronary arteries, for example, or, or your aorta, or your other vessels. And then those cells begin to not work as well, and then you begin to see the classic pathology Uh, cholesterol deposits, for example. So telomeres are just sort of one part of this long cascade of things that go wrong. And I think the key question to ask is not what causes age-related diseases, because, again, it's like saying, what caused this program? What are you asking? The key question is, how can you stop the disease? And so far, in almost all these diseases, we've gone after sort of Band-Aid approaches. We've tried to lower blood pressure, lower cholesterol, for example, with regard to cardiovascular disease. Well, what would happen if we could reset the, pro- the entire process? You know, five-year-olds don't tend to have a lot of heart attacks. Fifty-year-olds do. What if we can give you the coronary artery function of a five-year-old? Good question. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about diet and exercise. I'm saying we can do a lot better than we do. 
Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. Um, we are going to take a quick break. Um, we're talking today with Dr. Michael Fossil. He is the author of the book, The Telemarais Revolution. We're going to be back shortly. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network network we're on the cutting edge of social media can you keep up opinions options answers voice america health and wellness you are listening to falling through the cracks with your host dr rebecca risk to reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Dr. Michael Fossil. He's the author of The Telemarie's Revolution. Now, Dr. Fossil, you know, we're talking about anti-aging in a way when we look at these telomeres and and we talked about how they're related to all of that. Um, But I guess the question is, why, why do we age? That's a great one. Let me start by saying I really don't know. Um, Now, that's the truth about most things in life for most of us. On the other hand, most of us always think we do. Um, And I have to confess I've got some ideas. And uh, I know I put them in the book, and I'll state them. But I think the the bottom line is that, in some sense, aging is a survival mechanism 
for us as a species. <clears throat> and let me make it a little more clear than that. <clears throat> Let's say I had two islands, and each island has a population of, oh, I don't know, deer that live on the island. <clears throat> and on one island, the deer only live for a year, and they reproduce within that year. On the other island, they live for 500 years, and they reproduce in 500 years. <clears throat> and both have the same population. And they're doing fine, but now we change the environment. <clears throat> We increase the temperature by 10 degrees, or we change the, the rainfall enormously. Uh, which population is likely to adapt fastest? And the answer is the one with the shorter lifespan. They move faster. They adapt faster. They get used to the change in the environment. And the truth is, throughout the history of our planet, things have changed a lot. The oxygen concentration has gone up and gone down. The temperature has gone up and gone down. Lots of things have changed enormously. And what we see is that the... the the animals and the plants on our, on our planet that survive are the ones that have been able to adapt. And it's not a matter of adapting to what there is. It's a matter of adapting to what changes. And not only does the, the environment change, but so do the predators and the prey, what you eat and what eats you. All of that's changing all the time. So one of the, one of the things we see, for example, is the bacteria with very short lifespans adapt enormously quickly. Every time we try a new antibiotic, they adapt, and suddenly they're resistant. But if you take a long life species, they're much slower to, re to adapt. On the other hand, you know, a, a slow species like elephants or people uh, has a certain advantage, too. For example, we can pass on a lot more to our children in the way of how to survive than you can if you're only going to live till you're five years old. So it, it, there's a delicate balance. And I think what's going on with aging is that every species has a sort of an optimal age or an optimal rate of aging, but even that rate changes with the environment. So if, if our population um, suddenly had to deal with a, an alteration in the environment, we would actually age a little faster. It would cause stress. And the outcome of that, curiously enough, is that not only do we have shorter lifespans and age faster and so adapt faster, but actually you begin to get mutational rates that go up too because they're linked. Most of us think of mutations as bad. Well, they are. But a certain amount of mutations turned out to be useful. Otherwise, you couldn't change and adapt, and we'd all be slime molds. So it's a curious sort of complexity. I think the real reason we age is because you could say, well, that's how we manage to survive. But every species is different, and human beings tend to age as we do. Give us, you know, 50 to 100 years or so, and we age. I think it's, it's a benefit in the long run, or at least it has been. Okay, so uh, you mentioned this before the break, and I just want to ask the question to get a full um, answer. If we re-extend the telomeres, are we going to stop aging? No, not really. Um, we just reset the clock in a sense. You know, so if I were to take if I were to take you at fifty years old, and I could reset all the clocks, the telomeres in your body back to that of a twenty-year-old. It doesn't mean you wouldn't age. It just means that if we could do that, you'd be starting again as a 20-year-old. Now, you know, we don't know how far back we can take things and how, how well we can do this, but we do know that we can do a fair amount. Um, so you continue to age. Age will never go away. I'll give you my best estimate of this. If, if I were to be able to use this to cure Alzheimer's disease, you probably need a retreatment about every decade. Okay. Um, well, I mean, that makes sense. I guess we're, we're not stopping our bodies from, from functioning and doing what they do. You're just reversing things for a time being. Resetting them, at least, yes. Resetting. 
yeah. as it were, going going from that that grocery store that's a big mess and saying, you know, we're going to change our policy. We're going to clean it up every night. And again, it may be that ten years down the road, people get sloppy again and start cleaning it up every month. But at least for a while, we'd clean it up well. Yeah, and then you still have to maintain it. That makes sense. Yes, you do. So, yeah, what what is telomerase? Um, telomerase is a is an enzyme. It's actually a two part enzyme. There's a, a a part that's solely there as the sort of the template that says what we're going to put back on the telomere at the end of the chromosome, and then there's a part that does the putting back. So there's an active part and a passive part, you might say. And the passive part, the template, is pretty much in all of your cells. It's available, but the active part isn't. It's uh, you find it in the germ cells, for example, ova and sperm. You find it in some embryonic stem cells and some some stem cells from time to time in your bone marrow, for example. You find it in expressed in certain cancer cells at times, um, but most of the time it's not in our body. So it, that's what it is. It's it's an enzyme, a protein, that resets the telomere um, and resets the pattern of gene expression. So. Um... So is part of, you know, extending the telomeres, does that use the telomerase, or how is it going to work with that? Yeah, uh, telomerase, you know, you have the gene for telomerase in every cell in your body. It's just that the active component isn't expressed in most of those cells. So what you can do is you can either put in a new gene, a normal human gene, and say, express this one. You're not expressing the one you've got, but please express this one. Or you can put in the telomerase enzyme itself, or you can do uh, some, put in a chemical that might um, tickle the gene into producing telomerase. There are a number of approaches. I can think of about four or five before we start running out of options. And a number of them have been tried. And right now, probably the most feasible one is to take a normal human gene, put it in the cells that you want, and, and convince your cells to put out some telomerase, reset telomere length, and start again. Okay. So, so in your book, you talk a lot about um, what you know the the diseases that are related to aging and that kind of thing, and and of course, how how is genetics related to these diseases? That's a great question because it, it certainly plays a role. But let me put it in perspective. If I look, if I line up all of the genes in your body, and I say, <clears throat> what percentage of those actually are active and do something? They they produce proteins that are active in your cells. The answer is about one and a half percent of them. What about the rest of them? Well, at least 30 to 40 percent of the rest of them are involved in regulating the first set. So you've got, say, 30 or 40 genes that are involved in regulating one gene, for example. It, what it tells you is that the control of the genes is much more important than the genes. Now, I don't mean that genetics aren't important, and some diseases are strictly genetic. Sickle cell anemia, for example, it's a genetic disease. You know, in the 20th century, in the last half of the 20th century, we've focused pretty much exclusively on genetics. And what you're seeing is slowly a gradual shift uh, to understanding the importance of what are called epigenetics, that is, the ability to control the genetics. So it's not just that you have a good gene or a bad gene, it's how it's expressed. I'll give you an example of this one again. In Alzheimer's disease, one of the genes that's been linked to Alzheimer's is ApoE4. We know if you have two copies of that, you have an increased chance of Alzheimer's. And if you have two copies of the other type, for example, ApoE2, an example here, you have a lower chance of getting Alzheimer's. But we also know there are people with two copies of ApoE4 who didn't get Alzheimer's and people with two copies of ApoE2 who did get Alzheimer's. Does that mean it's not genetic? No, it just means it's more complex than that. 
it's not simply a matter of genetics. It's not that there's a gene that causes Alzheimer's or a gene that protects you from Alzheimer's. It's more complex. And so, for example, what we find is the epigenetics play a role. The question is, how fast do you turn over the beta amyloid? And, you know, the ApoE4, the bad gene for Alzheimer's, increases your likelihood of having a bad protein. But if you turn things over fast enough, then it's not a problem. If you turn things over slowly enough, then it doesn't matter what your genes you've got. You're still in trouble. So genetics play a role, but they're not everything. Here's an example I might give. Let's say that you and I live across a big lake. And every morning we get in our speedboat and we speed across the lake and every afternoon we speed back and we never hit a darn thing. Now, underneath, hidden from sight, there are a number of rocks. And we never hit them because they're under the water. They're low enough now, it's not a problem. Those are your genes. Those are your genes for, for heart disease or Alzheimer's disease. But now, look what happens when you lower the level of the lake. Sooner or later, one morning, you and I are going to hit a rock and we're going to have a disease. We'll hit the rock of ApoE4 or some high cholesterol gene. The genes have been there all the time. The problem is the level of the lake went down. It's not that you know the genes caused the accident. It's not that the rocks caused the accident. They're part of the problem. But part of the problem is the level of the lake going down. Well, the level of the lake is the telomere. And as the telomere shortens and changes gene expression, it exposes the rocks. So genetics play a role. The rocks play a role. But I think the answer, if you and I have a speedboat and we're worried about hitting rocks, the answer isn't to go out with dynamite and blow up each and every rock. The answer is to raise the level of the lake again to what it was. So we have the risk we had before when we were 20 rather than the risk we have when we're 75. That's kind of the analogy. Genetics are important, but you know the epigenetics are generally a lot more important for most diseases. So, you know, this is a topic that I always love because, I, you know, I get patients in who are um, afraid of getting blah, blah disease because someone in their family has it. And, you know, I, I try to explain to them. It doesn't mean that they're going to have it. It's, you know, the expression and, and the environment and all these other factors, you know, the, not just that one thing of having that gene that's going to make that happen. No, I agree with you. You know, the, the classic example here is heart disease. <clears throat> and you could have had every, everybody in your family die young of heart disease, but they may have all been smokers who didn't exercise and ate terrible food, too. And mm-hmm. you can change that by not smoking and eat, exercising and eating well. On the other hand, the opposite thing is true. You could have had no one in your family ever had heart disease, but you started smoking at age 14, you kept it up, you never exercised, and you spend your entire time in fast food restaurants. Well, your risk goes up. You still might not get heart disease, but your risk has gone up. So you're right. It's uh, you know, it, genetics play a role. They really do, but they're not everything by a long ways. So if we're looking at the the diseases of aging, um, you know, and Alzheimer's, you've mentioned a few times. What what do telomeres have to do with that? With with age related with, with Alzheimer's, yeah. We'll just talk about Alzheimer's. Almost everything. Um, now again, it. It's more complex. For example, <clears throat> let's say we take two young men uh, who have exactly the same genes, identical twins, but one of them goes out and they play uh, uh, football. And they're always getting, uh, you know, they, they play with the Astros and they're always getting knocked on the head. Or they're, they're hockey players and they're always getting banged around on the head. Those successive close head injuries are going to increase their risk of Alzheimer's disease. And it has to do with the fact that they're injuring glial cells, among other things. And so they're replacing them, so they're aging faster. 
so if I take those two identical twins, the one who's always getting banged on the head has an increased risk of Alzheimer's, no matter what they had genetically. So if I'm looking at Alzheimer's, there are a lot of things that increase the risk. Uh, there's closed head injury, uh, exposure to toxins. Um, there are probably dietary considerations. There are the stress in general, blood pressure. A number of things play a role. Uh, we, for example, have seen a lot of uh, examples where certain viral infections or chlamydial infections or other infections have been linked to a high risk, higher risk of Alzheimer's disease. Well, so what causes Alzheimer's? The answer is, well, in some sense, everything does. Back to the same question. The real question here isn't so much what causes it as how can we lower your risk optimally or how can we stop it or how can we prevent it or how can we even reverse it? And for most of us up until now, the answer is, well, for one thing, don't get banged on the head. And a number of other things, you know, avoid infections and, and, and lower your blood pressure and, and lower your stress and so on. And those are reasonable answers, but I think we can do better. Let me give you a, an analogy of this. Back in 1952, one of the best-selling books in the United States at that time was a book called um, uh, uh, Diet Conquers Polio. What was going on was that in 1952, there was no treatment whatsoever for polio. I mean, no, no vaccination, for example. And any parent worth their salt was worried about their children. And anything, anything they could grasp at, they would. And it's probably true that diet optimally increases the health of your immune system and lowers your risk of getting polio a little bit. But so does staying out of public pools and avoiding people who might be carrying polio and so forth. People did anything they could. Now, these days, if I want to prevent polio, the last thing I worry about is your diet. I don't mean diet's not important. I just mean it doesn't even come close to, to snuff when you look at a polio vaccination. That's how you prevent it. Um, I think the same thing is true of Alzheimer's disease. Right now, the sort of thing we can do to prevent Alzheimer's disease, I would still do. But there isn't a lot. I think we can do a lot better in the same sense that a polio vaccine can wipe out polio without having to worry about diet. I think that we can probably cure Alzheimer's disease and do it a lot more effectively than just saying, don't go play football, hockey, and, and watch your diet and exercise. Those are good things, well, but I think yeah. we can do better. Yeah, I, I agree because they're good things, but there are a lot of people that um, are you know playing by all those rules and, and uh, still being affected still. by it. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're and there are other a- people who don't play by those rules and still end up at 104. Was it Mar- uh, Jean Calment who, you know, died at 120-something, and she quit smoking at around 105. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go, right? There's, a, there's yeah. more than one factor at play in, in everything, I think. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Dr. Michael Fossil. He's the author of The Telemarine's Revolution. We'll be back shortly. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 
888-346-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Dr. Michael Fossil. He is the author of The Telemarais Revolution. So, Dr. Fossil, um, you know, we before the break, we were talking about different diseases and how they are f- affected by telomeres. And I just want to, um, you know, we talked about Alzheimer's, but um, I know there are other diseases, and I just want to talk about those a little bit. Um, you know, one thing is is osteoarthritis, which is really common, and most people just expect they're going to get arthritis as they get older. Does that have something to do with this? Yeah, it certainly does. You know, if I if I look carefully at your joints and I say, where's this osteoarthritis coming from? What you find is that there are cells that line the joints called chondrocytes, slippery little devils, and they put out some substances I won't get into technically, but they put out some things around them that make the joint very slippery and they protect it. But those cells also are turning over with age, and every time they, they divide and replace lost cells, telomeres shorten, gene expression changes, and the function changes. So what you find is that if I look at an old joint with old chondrocytes and osteoarthritis, they're no longer making the substances they need to make as fast, and they're no longer breaking them down as fast, and they're no longer replacing the cells as quickly. Well, so back to the same basic question, what causes that? Well, partly it's a matter of the cells turning over and the telomeres and so forth, but it's also a question of your experience. Example, if I look at basketball players, um, their knees age a lot faster than somebody who's doing yoga all the time. Why? Because the basketball players are jumping up and down on top of those cells, and the cells turn over faster, so they age faster. It's like saying, why do people who get out exposed to the sun and get sunburned have skin that ages faster than someone who spends their time inside? Same answer. So osteoarthritis is a disease of aging, 
but it starts down in the cells. And it, you could say it's caused by trauma. You could say it's caused by time as it passes. You could say it's caused by telomeres. Depends how you look at it. Back to the question I really want to ask, which is, never mind what causes it, but what can we do about it? Where is the single most effective point of intervention? The answer is, we can reset telomere lengths. We probably can do that. We can probably cure osteoarthritis. We'll see. Uh, well, that's really encouraging. Um, you know, I think most people are in a lot of pain as they get older. Um, aside from all the other stuff that can happen to them, arthritis is almost a given at, at a certain age. You know, after the age of 30 or 40, things are just going to start to break down. It's funny you say that because the way people look at aging sometimes uh, can be very ivory tower unless they're faced with it. Here's an example. <laughs> uh, years ago... Somebody came in and interviewed one of my patients who was 90-something, 94, I think she was. We'll call her Mrs. Smith. And he said, uh, the, the reporter said to my patient, Mrs. Smith, if Dr. Fossil had a pill to reverse aging, would you take it? And she said, no, I'd let nature take its course. Well, I looked at her chest and I said, Mrs. Smith, what's this big scar? And she said, that's a quadruple bypass. I had surgery. I said, and Mrs. Smith, I see your knuckles look all swollen and inflamed. What's that? She said, osteoarthritis. And yeah, i got to tell you that the Motrin is not working anymore. And I said, and Mrs. Smith, why did you come to the hospital today? She said, well, you know why I'm here. I've got pneumonia. I think I need to be, oh, I see what you're getting at. I take the pill. Uh, aging can sound good until you're the one with osteoarthritis whose knuckles don't work and knees don't work or who has to have a quadruple bypass for your heart or gets pneumonia. Those things are real, and those are the sort of things that we all have increased risk as we get older, and those are the things I'd like to see we could fix. I think we can. Well, so, you know, Mrs. Smith having um, pneumonia, and you just mentioned that's part of aging, are our immune systems affected as we age? They sure are. Uh, you know, if you look at the white cells in your body, they're always getting turned over. And it's sort of an interesting question, too, because, the, you know, we know that the immune system ages, but it's actually more difficult to measure than you'd think. Part of the problem is there are a lot of telomere tests out there that only measure the white cells in your blood. The problem is that most of them aren't in your blood, the white cells. They're actually out in your body elsewhere. Only about 1 in 30, for example, of your T cells are actually in your blood. But the other problem is the, the cells in your blood that we're measuring are actually responding to what's going on around you. So if I have an infection, my immune system will look older, and once I cure the infection, then the new cells coming in from my marrow will look younger. So here's an analogy. Let's say that you and I go out to Vancouver, and we notice that 50 years ago, the average age in one particular city block was 70. But now when we're in Vancouver, there's been a lot of turnover and new business coming in and a lot of young people have moved in and have kids. And the average age now in that city block is 25. Did the people get younger? Not at all. What happened is there was urban renewal and things changed. That's what's going on in, in the blood system when we measure telomeres in the bloodstream too. So you'll see articles that will say, listen, if I um, measure your telomeres in your bloodstream and now I put you on a vegetarian diet and I make you meditate and you do exercise, you brush your teeth regularly, you do a lot of good things, and your telomeres got longer. Well, no, they didn't. We're just looking at a younger city population. That's all we're looking at. It's people who moved out, other people who moved in. Um, now, that doesn't mean that, that meditation and vegetarian diets and a million things aren't good for you. It just means that the studies that you see out there don't actually show that. They may be right, but not based on the data they've got. So it's, difficult, it's more difficult than you'd think to actually measure telomere links reliably 
for the immune system. And yet, you're right. The immune system ages just like everything else does. And you see it in the telomeres, and you see it in the changing pattern of gene expression. Well, um, one thing that um, I get asked about a lot is I think a lot of people are afraid of cancer. And um, I'm not sure if you consider that an aging disease or not, um, but it is, it's a real fear for people. I think because most of us have been touched by somebody who has had cancer, um, struggled with it in some way. Um, are telomeres related to cancer at all? Oh, very much so. But, and again, in a much more complex way than most people realize, even people who have who've been dealing with telomere, telomere research. Um, here's part of the problem. Uh, first, let's look at, at, you know, again, mice versus people. I mean, you and I, as we get older, the rate, of, the incidence of cancer goes up um, as a straight exponential curve. That is, it keeps doubling and doubling and doubling. Um, and yet, it, that's true with human beings with, say, an average lifespan of, say, 75 years. If I look at a mouse with an average lifespan of two years, you might think, well, they probably don't get cancer because they don't live long enough to get it. No, they have the exact same curve, only that curve is over two years rather than 75 years. So if you look more carefully, what you find is that the, the changes in gene expression are paralleled, as are the changes in length of telomeres as that changes. And if we look carefully, what we find is, what's, what keeps you from getting cancer? Well, uh, never mind inherited cancers in, in babies and children, but if we look at the kind of cancers that most of us fear that we get as we get older, what's going on is that the rate of DNA repair goes down. It turns out there are four families of enzymes that do this, and all four of them get down-regulated when you, sh- when you shorten the telomere. So mm-hmm. you're no longer repairing the damage. I mean, in the conversation that you and I have had here over the past, say, 15 minutes or the past 45 minutes, every cell in our body has had some DNA damage, and in every case, it's gotten repaired. But that rate of repair goes down as we get older. Now, if, if we go ahead and re-extend telomeres, what you find is the rate of repair goes back up. So you could argue that telomerase actually is protective of genomic stability. It increases... The, the rate of repair and decreases the rate of cancer. Well, it's more complex than that because we also know that some cancers express telomerase, but they maintain relatively short telomeres. And it turns out that it gets very complex because it has to do with how short a telomere you're started with and how far you lengthen it and how long you keep it that way. So the quick answer is this. The, the quick answer is, in some cases, there can be an increased risk from telomerase, and we know there is in some cases of cancer. Again, telomerase doesn't cause cancer, but it can somehow let it happen in certain cases. But we also know that telomerase is protective against getting damage in the first place. So it's complex. Let me put it to you practically. If I have a patient with Alzheimer's disease, and I come to them and say, listen, I've got an experimental gene therapy that I think may be able to cure, cure Alzheimer's, well, we don't know the risk of cancer. It may be that one in a thousand patients will get cancer. Would you take it? My answer would be in a heartbeat, because the Alzheimer's is far worse than the potential risk of the cancer. And yet, the data suggests it's probably protective. So telomerase probably, on the average, protects you against cancer rather than letting you get it. Interesting. Hard question to answer. Yeah, sounds really complicated. And you know, when we're when we're talking about all of this, um, you know, it's uh, what I'm wondering is what is there anything that we can do um, yet? Is there any knowledge of how we can actually lengthen the telomeres? Yes, you know, there are a number of ways. Um, I, first of all, let me say that not lengthening it, but just slowing down the rate of loss. We've already talked about, and it's to put it bluntly. 
the best way to slow down your rate of aging is to do everything your mother told you to do or your grandmother told you to do or that your doctor told you to do and your doctor charged you more. Um, and it's the usual things. Uh, somebody once said to me, how's the best way I can lengthen my lifespan? And I said, fasten your seatbelt, eat right, and don't antagonize people who have bad attitudes. That's true, but that doesn't stop aging or reverse it. So the question you're asking is, how can we actually lengthen telomeres? The answer is, right now, we know of at least one set of substances that seems to have some effect. They're called astragalocytes. And there are a number of commercial sources. The problem is it's not always clear that you're getting an astragalocyte that's actually active. Um, they derive, actually, from the root of a plant. And there are other sources to, known, too, now. So there are things called telomerase activators. You can find them out on the, on the web. And our best guess is that even if you get a reliable source of this, it's probably only about 5 or 6% as effective as what we'd like to, to have. So if we look at the human studies, and there are at least three published studies on this so far, what you find is that no one goes from age 70 to age 20. It doesn't happen. But if you look, at, for example, at immune function, not just telomere length, but actual function of the immune system, you find that after people have been on these telomerase activators for a period of about six months, many people's immune systems act like they're 10 years younger. Well, that's interesting. That's just intriguing as all get out. But that's different from saying that it prevents Alzheimer's disease or heart disease. It clearly is having some effect based on the data, but not shockingly so, just intriguingly so. Best I can say. That's the best thing that's available for people right now out there in the market. Well, you know, I think that's still pretty encouraging when we look at... Um just boosting our immune system, making it 10 years younger, I think most people would, would want that. So, I mean... Um, I, I think so. <laughs> but there are a number of problems. You know, one is, can you trust the source you've got? Uh, the mm -hmm. first company ever did this, who owns some of the, the patent rights to it, is a company called TA Sciences. And probably a reliable source. Um, but the next question is, even if you have a reliable source, what about the cost of it? <clears throat> so, let's say that, you know, let's say the cost was Oh, a couple hundred dollars a month. Let's say that's the cost. Is it worth it to you? Well, depends how much money you're making. What's your pension? What's your income? Uh, what are your other costs? And it also depends on your best guess on, on whether you're going to get heart disease and whether you, the things work and whether you're getting the right dose. It's not easy. It's very easy to say, yes, it's a good idea. Um, the other question, obviously, is what about the cancer risk? And the answer seems to be, no, nope, doesn't seem to be a risk. It seems to be protective. But there's so much unknown about this right now that it's hard to come up with a good answer. Example, somebody came to me once, a, a, an elderly patient in New York who had a known cancer, and she said, shall I take this TA65, the telomerase activator? Well, the type of cancer she had was essentially uniformly fatal. She didn't have long to go, and my answer is pretty clear, which is, I don't know the answer, but were I in your shoes, I'd give it a try. But it's not because I know it works. It's not because I know it's safe. It's because she had a pretty dismal situation, and it was hard to make it much worse. But these are tough questions. They're, they're often tough questions, and anything I say about it tends to be a simplification of reality, best I can do. Yeah, yeah well, it, it sounds like we need to understand it more, but it seems pretty exciting when, when we found you know, this link. Um, uh, when I first read about it, I, I was pretty excited. <laughs> so hopefully... Uh, well, I am too, Rebecca. I, yeah. I think you're right. I mean, to, to me, this suggests that we're about to be able to do something in medicine that we've never been able to do before. It will be a revolution in medical care. Not only will we be able to cure a lot of diseases that we've never been able to even moderately affect before, but we can lower the cost. You know, I, 
Back in 1950, people were honestly concerned about the cost of polio rehabilitation and iron lungs in the year 2000. And you know what? The global cost of polio right now is just so small as to be almost invisible. I think that will happen with Alzheimer's, for example, and a lot of other age-related diseases. I think we're just on the edge of a revolution. We'll have to see. Well, I hope so. I I hope that, you know, some of these diseases that we've talked about and they're in your book too become, um, you know, just a thought like, oh, I have an infection and I just need antibiotics, whereas that infection would have killed us in the past. So Mm -hmm. I I hope we have those changes. No, I think you're right. You know, when I talk to young parents these days and I mention the word polio, they're not quite sure what I mean by that, where if I went back about two generations and mentioned that people would panic. I think the same thing is true of a number of other diseases. You know, I look forward to the day 100 years from now where, you know, your, your great-granddaughter comes to you and says, uh, no, I had to stop at the office because I had breast cancer. And you're going, breast cancer? She's going, what's the big deal? I don't understand why you're so upset about this. That would yeah. be lovely. And the same thing exactly. for Alzheimer's and other diseases. I would like to look forward to the time when people look back on those and say, I don't understand why they were so worried about that. It seems trivial to me. That would be lovely. Yeah, I agree. Now, Dr. Fossil, is there any way that someone can find your book if they're um, interested in finding out more about this? Yeah, the usual sources are out there. Uh, the easiest one from my perspective is to go to Amazon because we almost all do for many things, but it's available in many places out there, um, both as a Kindle book and a hardcover and coming out in paperback. It's in seven languages, ten global editions, so if you want it in Chinese or Russian, it's out there someplace. Um, and if you're interested more in what we're doing with the research, I would go take a look at telesite.com. You can sign up for the contact list. We have a newsletter. We're going to be taking this to human trials next year in the U.S., followed by phase two trials elsewhere globally. Oh, that's, um, that's great news. I can't wait to see what happens with that. And uh, I want to thank you today for joining me for this show. This was really informative. Thank you, Dr. Risk. My pleasure. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I want you to make sure you make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.